All right, you can be seated. Something very special for you today. I, I, this is an awesome church, man. You are the most awesome church. I just love you. You're easy to pastor, and so I want to thank you for being here today. But um, something very special today is going to happen. Um, this past week, Kim and I and staff were out of town and um, had a wonderful time, but we've had on the schedule a guest speaker now for several, several weeks. Not just any guest speaker, but a dear friend of mine, a guy by the name of Doug Witherup, who has been in the ministry for years, a guy who's passionate about Jesus, loves spreading the word, loves people. And I know that God has placed a word in his heart today. In fact, we talked on Friday afternoon, and he said, man, I, we were kind of thinking in one direction. And he said, God's just put something in my heart. And after the first service, I, I know exactly why God spoke to him and through him today. And so I, I want you to do something for me before he comes. He's uh, been a uh, teaching pastor at one of the largest churches in North Carolina. Uh, for the last several years. Now he is on staff with our denomination, our district, um, Assemblies of God. He is uh, ministries director for the state of North Carolina. And today, he's your friend. So when you hear something that uh, God is speaking through Doug today, I want you to preach back to him, okay? Are you with me? One of them, amen, know me, hallelujah, woo, come on, bring it. You know, <laughs> we just like to have fun here, so... Um, I want you to put your hands together and welcome my friend and your friend, Doug Wither, to the stage. Well, good morning, Epicenter. I told the first service, I'm going to tell you because I mean it just as much as I did then. It is a pleasure to be in a church that if I lived here, I'd go to church here. Come on, give yourselves a hand. This is, this is a, I'll tell you what, the Spirit of the Lord is here. Don't take that for granted. You say, Doug, God's omnipresent. Is He not in every church that you're in? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> theologically I would agree with that, but um, I'll just say that, that uh, He's more alive in some places maybe than, than other places. And He is alive here, church. Come on, give Him a, give him a shout of praise. He is alive. Pastor Mark, so uh, gracious to just uh, accept this uh, opportunity to, to bring the Word of God to the people this morning, and so appreciative of your pastor and, and his wife, because that kind of, uh, let me just say this, that kind of culture doesn't happen by accident either. You don't just stumble into that. That uh, comes because of intentional leadership who realizes the power of prayer, and um, can we just thank your pastor and his wife, and just so grateful for them and their ministry. My uh, wife Camden and my two kiddos sometimes get to come along with me. They're not here with me this morning, but let me at least introduce you via picture to my two kiddos. My little girl Annie is five and my son Cade is seven, and that's my world. I live in Princess and Ninja Turtle world. That's just, I mean, my little girl Annie is into all things Princess. I'm just going to tell you that if I hear another Frozen song, I'm going to punch somebody and... Um, <laughs> 
Man, but uh, but she's my little girl, right? She's my princess. She is all things princess. In fact, I love her so much that here's my confession. I'm just going to begin by confessing. I love my little princess so much that I, as a man of God, have preached the word of God in a pulpit before wearing Disney glitter toenail polish. I have. I have. I'm just going to confess that right off the bat. And um, I just want to say, guys that you can be a man and wear Disney glitter toenail polish if you got a five-year-old little girl. (laughs) If you don't have a five-year-old little girl, uh, Pastor Mark will counsel you after this service is over. My son, Cade, is seven and all things Ninja Turtles, but he also loves Jesus, which makes for a really interesting combination. In fact, when his kindergarten teacher asked him last year what he wanted to be when he grew up, he looked at her and said that he wanted to be a ninja preacher. That's right, a ninja preacher. So they didn't have that major at Southeastern University when I was studying to be in the ministry. I looked at him and I said, buddy, tell, tell daddy exactly what a ninja preacher does. He didn't hesitate. He said, well, daddy, I'm going to beat people up on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and then I'm going to preach to them on Sunday. <laughs> Come on, I'm not going to beat anybody up today. I'm just going to preach to you. Is that Okay. If you have your Bibles, take them out and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. You love the Word of God. Hey, can I just say this too? 1 Peter says this, Let he who speaks speak as though he is speaking the very words of God. So not because of who I am, but because of who he is. When anybody is on this platform speaking to you, that's not the opinion of man. That's the Word of God. I hope you come to church every Sunday and say, God's going to speak to me today. There's something about a spirit of expectation, and I sense that in here because sometimes God meets you at your level of expectation. So just expect, I mean, just tap about three people and tell them, I'm expecting this morning. I'm expecting, not, not that way. I mean, not, not that. I'm starting to show already. No, 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 not that way. But you're expecting God to do something in your life. There's a group of people in the United States that are known as the tribe of the transplanted. The tribe of the transplanted. This is a group of men and women that have undergone, successfully undergone having a heart transplant. And uh, a lot of times they will get together at various conventions and just kind of come together and share their stories. I mean, you can imagine the, the overcomer spirit that is there. One of the things that they tell about this group is that they just live with this uh, sense of gratitude and waking up every morning and, wow, I get to feel the sunshine on my face for another day. I get to kiss my babies and, and I get to uh, see my grandchildren. The other, another really interesting thing that they say about this tribe of the transplanted is that they will tell you that once they got a new heart, they got new desires. Now this is really, it's kind of strange, it's really interesting. In fact, some doctors started doing some studies on this and they confirmed medically what this tribe of the transplanted was saying. What they did is they found, they did the studies and they found that your heart has what they call cellular memory just like your brain does. And so I know this is weird, but think about this. When you get somebody else's heart, you get some of their desires, some of their habits, 
some of their cravings. So you never like broccoli, and you get a heart transplant, and all, 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 transplant, and all of a sudden you like broccoli. You were a night person. You get a heart transplant. All of a sudden, you're a morning person. You get the desires. Do you see where I'm going with this, church? You get the desires of the heart that you have. And so when you begin to take on the heart of the Lord, you start to get crave, you start to crave after the things that he craves after. Your heart starts to break for the things that his heart starts to break for. You start to see, see but we don't, the world doesn't believe that. We live in a world that worships the external, right? Show me. So, so in the world standard, it's show me the external. Show me your ability. Show me your physique. Show me your face. Show me what kind of car you drive. Show me how much is in your 401k. Show me how many people at your office are underneath you. Show me, right? And we live in this world of externals, and yet God steps into that and says, hold on. Hold on. It's about the heart. We're going to look at the life of David this morning. David, to me, is just one of the most fascinating people in the Bible. I love David because David is just like you and me. He is flawed. He makes mistakes. And yet the Bible describes him as one of the greatest kings, one of the greatest leaders that the nation of Israel has ever had. So I don't know about you, but sometimes I read these stories about great men and women of God in the Bible, and, and I think, well, God, what is it about them? What is it about David? What is it about Moses? What is it about Mary? What is it about the Apostle Paul? Is there just this lottery system in heaven that God's like, all right, name, reach into a hat. Hey, Mary, congratulations, Mary, you get to birth the Messiah. David, you get to be next, the next king. Or is there something about the way that these individuals live their lives that they cultivate a life that God looks down and says, hey, I like that. I know they're not perfect. I know they got a past. I know they got some weaknesses, but that's a heart that I can use. I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God is hovering over Fayetteville, that the eyes of the Lord are going back to and fro, and he's saying, where's a heart? Where's a heart? Not where talent, ability, all of that. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's not nearly as important as you think it is. And God is looking at the heart. Let's jump right into this scripture this morning. So, so the story behind the story is that Saul was the first king of Israel. And he didn't do such a good job. God blessed him, but he rebelled against the Lord. He lost the heart of the Lord. And so God said, time to move on. And God sends the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. And so Jesse... I mean, moms and dads, picture this. The next king, the next president, the next CEO, the next leader is coming out of your house. So moms and dads, you're going into coach mode, aren't you? Yeah, nod your head. Yeah, you are. Stand up straight, boy. You better look him in the eye. Firm, firm handshake. Speak when he speaks to you. I mean, you're going to, come on, moms and dads. You know how we are. When I, every time we walk into a church service, if I have my kids, now listen, what do you do when the pastor talks to you? Talk to him. Yes, of course you talk to him. Look somebody in the eye. You know, you're, you're coaching them and you're pushing. What now? This isn't my message, parents, but I want you to watch this. Look what Jesse did to his sons. Jesse pushes his sons into the the 
spotlight in areas that were not their calling and before it was time. And I'm just saying that this has become a Jesse's spotlight culture where we are pushing our kids. Come on, you got to know five languages before the time you're six. Come on, you got to get into the best schools. Come, come on, you got to be on 12 traveling soccer teams and eight traveling baseball teams. Come on. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not mad at ballet or baseball, but I am against the heart that would have little kids all across this country out of churches on Sunday mornings and on baseball fields and tying up soccer cleats. That's child idolatry, and it's not right. It's not right. But listen. So, so Jesse was trying to push his kids into the spotlight. Come on, be on stage, son. Be on stage. And yet God had another plan. See, there was another child, there was another person in the field, he was overlooked. He didn't even get invited to tryouts. So not only was David like the last guy standing on the sideline at recess when they were picking up the kickball teams, he didn't even get invited to recess. He's out in the field. I mean, how's that for your ego? How's that for your self-esteem? You think one of the first people that David might have employed when he got to be king was like a psychologist? Hey, my, my dad, I didn't even get invited to the, you know. He did. But listen, watch this. So watch this. Man likes to develop people on the stage, but God develops people in the fields. God develops people in the fields. Let's, I'm going to get way ahead of myself. Let me at least read this scripture before I start preaching too much. Listen to this. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Father, in these next moments, I pray that you would speak and that you would do what only the Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So how can we do that, church? How can we cultivate? Is it possible to develop that kind of a heart, a David heart that God would look down and say, oh, I love that. I love that. I can use that. I'm going to elevate them. I'm going to take them into the next place in their life. I'm going to elevate their family. I'm going to elevate their ministry. Let's look at three things from the scripture this morning. Number one, God wants to give you his heart in obscurity. God wants to give you his heart in obscurity. So the first thing that it talks about with David is it compares and it contrasts this stage mentality. In 1966, Andy Warhol, I use this term loosely, but prophesied and said in the future, everyone will be after what he called 15 minutes of fame. And isn't it the truth? Every reality show, every YouTube viral video, and I'm not against social media, uh, but, but, but do you understand the culture that it's created is that everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. And so we all want to be out front and, out front and we all want to be recognized and we all want people to like us. But in that, God is still developing hearts in prayer closets. God is still developing greatness in the times in your life. See, some of you may be in a position where you've got overlooked. You're a teenager and the coach overlooked you for the basketball team this year. You, Sir, maybe you're at the job and you got overlooked again for a promotion. Ma'am, maybe you feel like you've gotten overlooked in a certain area of your life. Listen, those are times in your life. Don't waste, please don't waste the times of obscurity in your life. 
Don't waste those times. Those are wonderful times. Those are precious times. Those are times where God's actually, God, God kept David in the field for a reason. And he was saying, David, I got a, I got a work to do in you. Someday you're going to be king. Someday you're going to defeat Goliath. But for now, David, I want you all to myself, and I just want to pour my heart into you. Next weekend, we'll have a, a conference in Concord, and one of the things that they'll, people will walk into is a, a shopping mall that's about 300,000 square feet. We bought it in the year 2000, and it had been foreclosed on after Walmart moved down the road, and, and so we had all this empty space, and so people will walk into a youth facility that's about a $4 million youth facility. It's got all the lights and the smoke and mirrors and all that great stuff, and God is using our youth pastor, John Hernandez, to in an amazing way to reach hundreds of kids and but what they don't understand what people don't understand is that there's always a story behind the story right I mean it's like it's like the Olympics you watch the winter winter Olympics and and we're an ESPN highlight culture aren't we you know we love that we see the gold medal go around the neck and and uh, winter Olympics are a little bit funny though aren't they I love the broom. You know, what, what, where did somebody get, get realized? Some, some kid's sweeping out the, the back room in Pizza Hut, and it's like light bulb goes on. I'm an Olympic athlete. I can do this, you know. I love what Jerry Seinfeld says about the luge. It's the only event that you can win a gold medal in on accident. You know, trip and fall, boom, gold medal. <laughs> you know, so, but, but we, you know, we joke about that kind of stuff, but, but a lot of practice hours, right? And so we celebrate the highlight that's on ESPN, but we don't see behind the scenes. And so we first acquired that shopping center, and my pastor was asking me, Doug, what's your, I was the youth pastor at the time, Doug, what's your vision for the youth ministry? And I'm trying to put on a smile for my senior pastor because I don't want to get fired. I like my job, but on the inside, I'm like, I have no idea. I mean, I don't know, I barely know what I'm doing tomorrow, not much the less a five-year plan. What's a five-year plan? You know, how about survive was my five-year plan. And so we went to this conference in Orlando, and the you would think that would be a moment of inspiration. I'm listening to men of God that pastor churches of 10,000. And, and I don't know whether it was pride, insecurity. It was probably layers of a lot of things. But I do remember this. I remember feeling not encouraged but discouraged. And looking at my own life and comparing. I know you've never done this, but let me just be vulnerable for a minute. Comparing a little bit and saying, God, I don't know that I can preach like that person. God, I don't know that I have the leadership ability. And on the ride home, it was like the Holy Spirit nudged me and reminded me of one little session by Elmer Towns on prayer and fasting. And a light bulb went on and I said, I can do that. I can do that. So I remember during lunchtime just sitting in the park at, parking lot outside of what used to be the, the Walmart there with, with tears just streaming down my, my cheeks saying, God, you gotta, you got to do something you got to do something. I remember in the old layaway center, it was a upper level in the very back corner of the building. There was no heat or AC. And I remember going in there and just walking around that place, just pouring out my heart to God in the field, crying over the city. And I won't go into all of the details, but God, in a time when our church was in dire financial position, we had planted about five churches in one year on accident. Um, I mean, just people... um, you, you know, you follow. I mean, we didn't, we didn't want those people to go. They just left, okay? I'm just saying we were in a time of uh, some difficulty and transition. 
and, um, and the finances were going, and, and, and God called us to move the youth ministry across the street. And I remember sitting with our music pastor and saying, well, could we have $3,000 for a sound system? And he looked at me and said, $3,000 for a sound system? We are broke. We don't have any money. Well, we got up, and we raised $18,000 to get across the street. God multiplied that $18,000 into $60,000. And then through another series of events, several years later, we walk in and we open $4 million. That is not about an individual. That's about Jesus. That's about Jesus. Don't waste the times of hiddenness in your life. You might be being overlooked by man, but God's drawing you close and he's downloading his heart into you. God wants to give you his anointing, but first of all, he wants to give you his heart wants to give you his heart the second thing that God wants to do he wants to give it in obscurity but number two he wants to give you the heart of a worshiper the heart of a worshiper I love this about about David I love what what uh, pastor said earlier about about David this is a worshiping church and David was a David was a worshiper in fact, I really love this about David. David was, David was on one hand, he was like this man's man. David would throw on some camo, grow a duck dynasty beard, grab a gun, go out into the woods and kill something. Then David would go home, put on a pair of skinny jeans and write a song about it. I mean, it was, David, David was like this poet warrior. He was like, I'm going to chop off Goliath's head and blood splattering everywhere. And then he goes, he goes and plays a harp. I mean, you know what? I love that about David. David is this passionate worshiper. Where did David develop the heart of a worshiper? In the field, in obscurity, when nobody was watching. Your worship matters. They did a, they did a study uh, several years ago of church choirs. And so I don't even know what prompted them to do this study, but they wanted to measure the heartbeat of different members in, in a church choir. And so what they did is they hooked up these, these little electro sensors, and so they had the monitors, and everybody started out. They're getting ready for choir practice, and you had the, the chill person up front, you know, the kind of the, the laid-back person, and their heartbeat was just kind of like this. And then you had the super hyper person over here, and, and he just drank three Red Bulls before he came, and so his heartbeat, you know, flying all over the place. And, and so all of these different heartbeats were going at different rhythms at different times until they started to sing. Now, I don't understand this uh, because I'm not a, a singer, but Pastor Matt can tell you that supposedly anyways, when you sing together, you're supposed to breathe together because that helps you to sing together better. And so as all of these different choir members began to sing together, began to worship together, an amazing thing happened. Their heartbeats all started to line up in unison. Now watch this, because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there are angels right now that are surrounding the heavenlies and the throne of God that are worshiping, and they are crying, holy, holy, holy. And so here's one of the things that happens when you worship, when you open your mouth, when Pastor Matt and the team leads you into worship, and you just lift your hands and you begin to worship, is that you, your heartbeat begins to line up with the heartbeat of heaven, that God begins to download his heart into you. And you begin to go from this position of crossed arms, looking around, saying, this church is a little bit too excited for me. And, and so you, you know, you can, you 
you can even look, make it look like you're worshiping by accident. You can start to scratch an ear and then just give a little hand raise before you put your arm. You can, you can yawn. You can stretch a little bit. What, do whatever you got to do. But listen, take the next step. Hear me, church. Take the next step in worship. Because when you start developing a heart of a worshiper, when you turn on this off the sports talk radio in your car on the way to work and just begin to start singing with a heart of worship towards the Lord, God begins to download His heart into you. It's a heart transplant. It's a heart transplant. The final thing then is is that God wants to develop in you the heart of a warrior. The heart of a warrior. So the scripture also says this. This is when David is getting ready to step into his uh, one of his moments of destiny, and that's defeating Goliath. So nobody else wants to step up to this battle. Goliath is coming out. He's taunting, uh, you know, send out the person to whoever defeats me, and, and the winner, the entire army will win. And David says, I, I got this. I can do this. So Saul looks at him and says, hey, you can't go out there against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a kid. And, and this guy, Goliath, has been a warrior from his youth. Listen to this. I love this. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. In other words, your servant's been in the field. Your servant's been hidden. Your servant's been in obscurity. But God has been developing a heart in me. I've been a worshiper. And now, watch else. This is what else happened in the field. Uh, uh, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. In other words, what David was saying was the past things in my life that came against me, the problems, the difficulties, the obstacles, they didn't take me down. They served to elevate me and train me and get me ready. Ready for the destiny that God has for me. I don't know what problem you're facing right now. I don't know what challenge is in your life, but it's not going to take you down. That challenge is preparing you for God's destiny in your life. They, um, Carol Dweck, who's a psychologist, wrote a book called Mindset. And her her thesis of this whole thing was she just took people that were quote successful in a bunch of different areas of life and her question was what made them successful and you would think that it would be all about again because we're an external society and we worship the external so you would think it would be about ability and talent you know in sports we say that he or she is a natural they've just got a natural swing a natural uh a shot, a jump shot, or different things like that, but it turns out it has very little to do with ability. It has to do with mindset. In fact, you want to know the difference between successful people and people who aren't successful people don't quit. I mean, that was, that was it. 
They just, they, just, they just keep going. They've got a mindset that when they face a challenge, that that challenge is not going to take them down, but it's going to toughen them up, and they're going to get through it. And, and, and I know that we know that, right? I mean, that just even, it preaches so good on a Sunday morning, and I don't know about you, but I got some, I deal with some way short-term memory. I mean, I'll come out of my prayer closet in the morning. God spoke to me that morning. I got a I mean, I have journaled that thing. I have prayed that thing. I'm like, Jesus is going to win the world to him. And I'll walk out of that door and say, yeah, but probably not through me and probably not today. I mean, it's just, you know what I'm saying? You got, I mean, it's different. Arms high, heart abandoned. And then Tuesday, your boss comes in your office and starts chewing you out, right? The coach benches you. The, 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 you find out there's some gossip going on. And, and, and we, deal with, we deal with these gaps sometimes. Pastor Mark talked about, mentioned the gaps. Um, I, I am, one, one of my many faults is that I am OCD. And, and I just, these, these things just come out. And so uh, we were at Disney World, not too long, uh, Walt Disney World, uh, not too long ago. And one of the things about Disney World, you just got to know you're going to stand in line, right? You're going to pay a lot of money, you're going to stand in line. That's all part of the process, and, and it's for the princesses and ninja turtles, and, and I like it too, so it's, it's okay. But we're standing in line. Here was the issue. We were standing in line for the Buzz Lightyear ride. And there were several individuals in front of us, and they knew each other, and they were having a good time, and they were talking, and I'm, I was all for that. But here was the problem, is that in the course of their conversation, they stopped facing forward and they were turning and facing each other and so people I'm I'm starting to shake I'm just telling you this I'm getting all jittery pray for me the people in front of them moved up and they didn't move up and there was a gap in the line. Now, don't look at me like that. I get it. In my mind, I knew it was only 10 feet. I knew that I'd still have to wait another 45 minutes. But just, I didn't know whether to nudge them, throw a kid at them. But just, move up! There's a gap. There's a, there's a gap. Some of you are OCD, too. At the checkout counter at Food Lion, ma'am, either take the Kit Kat or don't. But there's three feet. Just, just go move up. I really stress you out now. What about if you're at a stoplight? I got friends here. I got friends. And you're in the left turn lane. And the red arrow turns to a green arrow, and the first car goes, and the second car goes. You're about eight cars back, and then you don't see anything for a while. (laughs) Gaps, right? Gaps. What about that gap is from Sunday morning to Monday morning? What about that gap is between what the Word of God says and what I see? 
I don't know about you, but I got some, un, some no, I'm not going to call them unfulfilled, some yet-to-be-fulfilled promises that I believe that God's spoken over my life. And sometimes I will look at those promises, and I believe in my prayer closet that God spoke it, but then what I see with my external eyes is not the same. And listen, when you begin to develop the heart of a worshiper, and when you begin to develop the heart of a warrior, that begins to close the gaps in your life and the God who made the promise is the God who will fulfill the promise. Catch this. Listen, what God birthed in his spirit and by his spirit, you can't bring about by the flesh. That's called Abraham tried to do that. And when you try to bring about in the flesh what is birthed in the spirit, you birth Ishmael's in your life. The spirit of God has birthed some promises in you. Those are God's promises. And in his timing, that same spirit of God that birthed the promise is going to bring that to fulfillment and that gap will be closed in your life and so having this mindset that we're going to be overcomers man come on up that we're going to be warriors the problems aren't going to take us down but that God is going to use those things to elevate us to take you to the next level, to take you into a greater anointing, to take your family into a position of greater influence. The year was 1947. On on October 14th, this young pilot by the name of Chuck Yeager climbs into the cockpit of an experimental Bell X-1 aircraft. He wanted to be the first person to break the speed of sound, the sound barrier. People were telling them that it couldn't be done, and, and in their defense, they had, they had pretty good reason, and they were pointing at the graves of the people that had died trying. See, here, here's what happens. A couple of things about aviation. When you're flying, so here's the wing of the aircraft. When you're flying, the wind over the top of the wing travels a little bit faster than the wind underneath the wing. That's not a big deal when you're traveling 300, 400, 500, even 600 miles an hour. But when you start traveling 700 up towards the speed of sound, 761 miles an hour, the greater wind on top, the faster will send that plane into a nosedive death, death, death. The other thing that people experienced was the very thing that was trying to be broke through sometimes doesn't want to be broke through. And so the speed of sound requires that you deal with sound waves. Again, in this, in this room, it's no big deal. So the shuffling of a, of a paper or the notes of a keyboard or my voice through this microphone into the audience is creating sound waves. Well, you, don't fe- you hear them, but you don't feel them. Again, we're not traveling at, at 700 miles an hour. But as you approach the speed of sound, those sound waves begin to become very real and they cause the airplane to begin to shake violently. So Chuck Yeager says, we'll give this thing a shot climbs into did, did you catch that the experimental Bell X1 it's just a prototype plane or something that he's climbing into they put it in the belly of a B29 bomber the bell, the bomber flies up to 25,000 feet opens the fuselage Bell X1 lowers down rocket fuel uh, rocket engines uh, take it up to 42,000 feet 
There's Chuck Yeager behind the controls in the cockpit. 600, 700, 725, 735, 750 miles an hour when Chuck Yeager hits point, Mach point 0.965. The instrument panel begins to go haywire. Things start shaking. He could have pulled back, right? He could have said, oh, I'm, I'm out. I can't even tell how fast I'm going, but he didn't. He held steady. Pressed forward. At Mach 0.969, his eyesight begins to go. He begins to lose his very vision. Things get blurry. His stomach begins to get nauseous. Again, most people would have said, I'm out. I'm pulling back. But he didn't. He presses on. And the airplane goes faster. And it goes faster. And everything is coming against him. And Chuck Yeager hits Mach 1. And this is what he describes. He describes it as there was this loud sonic boom. And listen to this. He says, on the other side. He said it was like a sea of glass. Watch this church. Here's why. Because everything that was against him was now behind him. And I don't know what's coming against you this morning. I don't know what forces of the enemy are fighting against your family and against your children. I don't know what forces of hell set up and coming against your finances. I don't know what the enemy has tried for you in the area of your job or in the area, but here's what I know. Here's what I believe that the word of the Lord is to you this morning, is that you will not break down. You will break through. Come on, somebody. You are going to break through. And the Lord has not set you up to fail. He did not bring you to this point in your life to leave you. He did not bring you to this point in your life to set you out on your own, but that you have the spirit of an overcomer in you. You got breakthrough in you. You got breakthrough in you. You're not going to break down this morning. You're going to break through. You're going to break through. You're going to the other side. You're going to the other side. Now remain standing, heads bowed right now all across this auditorium. A couple of questions because there's, I believe that there's breakthrough anointing in the house this morning. I believe that in just a moment, some of you are going to step from where you're at and you're going to walk through and suddenly the things that were against you are going to be behind you and there is breakthrough, there is spiritual breakthrough in the house this morning. Let me ask you a couple of questions. This is question number one. Hi, thank you so much for joining us on our internet campus today. We'd love to hear how this message blessed you. You can send an email to admin at yourepicenter.com. You also have the ability to donate to this ministry if you go to www.yourepicenter.com. Again, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful day.